Welcome to Ministries That Podcast, where I talk to successful ministry leaders about how they're using podcasting to amplify their mission and grow their ministry. I'm Tim Hall, your host and owner of Sonomorphic, a podcast production company that specializes in podcasting for ministries. My guest today is Paul Hastings. He's an award-winning podcaster, filmmaker, speaker, and entrepreneur. He's the host of Compelled, Christian Stories and Testimonies, a podcast sharing unique stories about God-transforming Christians around the world. His work has been featured by Dr. James Dobson's Family Talk, The Gospel Coalition, Christianity Today, World Magazine, American Family Association, The Christian Post, and more. In today's episode, Paul and I are going to talk about the story behind Starting Compelled, his advice for adding subscribers and growing his audience, and how he uses multiple revenue streams to support the podcast. So let's get right to it. Here's my conversation with Paul Hastings. Paul, thanks so much for joining me today. Tim, thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, so I first heard about the Compelled podcast when it was mentioned on the Pour Over podcast, another podcast that I listen to. Actually, it's called the Pour Over Today now. And since then, I've seen it come up in a few places. I've seen it most notably in the Apple Podcast Top 200 chart for the religion and spirituality category, as well as you had a booth at the Gospel Coalition Conference just earlier this year. So I was doing some research and saw that the first episode that you put out was back in July of 2018. And so I'd love to hear the story, kind of the origin story here. So take me back to 2018. You're starting the podcast. Tell me a little bit about that time. Yeah, okay. So there's a little lead up to how that happened. So basically, I had straight out of high school, I'd gotten a job working in Texas politics. And I did that for about 10 years and had done that for a long time. Somewhere in the mix, I eventually got married, but I had taken my bad work habits from working in Texas politics and had just kind of carried that over into our marriage. And so in Texas politics, it's just like nonstop chaos work. You drop everything that you're doing. You work on the weekends because the political cycle Mm -hmm. never ends and never stops. And so I was just experiencing a lot of burnout. My wife was also, you know, just not seeing me very much at all. And so at the end of the, I think it was the 2018 primaries in Texas, we just kind of looked at each other and just said, we've got to stop. We just got to find something else that I can do to provide for the family. And so we just began praying and thinking and talking and having lots of conversations. And somewhere in the mix there, we went on our very first family vacation. And on this family vacation, it was me, my wife, and we had a one-year-old daughter at that point. And so we went and flew to Cincinnati, and we went to the Creation Museum from Answers in Genesis, and then we went to the Ark Encounter, and then we drove to the Indianapolis Children's Museum, and then we drove down to Tennessee, and and we went to the Christian Worldview Film Festival. So, like, you know, Mm. we're being surrounded by all these sort of, like, very different things. This is the first time I'd ever taken a family vacation. It was, like, two weeks away from work, and just kind of creatively being exposed to things and ideas and seeing things presented with excellence and the Ark Encounter, all, all this cool stuff was going on. And we capped it off, though, with the Christian Worldview Film Festival. And I'd had a background in filmmaking because I'd done a lot of commercials for clients and stuff like that. And so we're here at the Christian Worldview Film Festival, and we're hearing stories and interacting with other filmmakers and stuff and creators. And, and somewhere in the mix there, I had also read a book called Nothing to Lose, Everything to Gain. And it's a so-so book. It's it's like, okay, it's like a business bio 
But at the very mm. end, it had an excellent suggestion, which was that if you're ever at a crossroads for your career, you should take out a sheet of paper and begin writing down a list of everyone that you know, everything that you've done, everything that you own, roughly, and just make a huge list. And as you make these huge lists of things, you might begin to see patterns. And so on this trip, again, like we're thinking like, what could we do that's different? And so we began just kind of doing that exercise and eventually just kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, wow, I, I feel like I know a lot of people on this list that have really interesting stories how Jesus transformed their life. Hmm. And as a kid, I'd always been really transfixed on stories because I would always fall asleep during church sermons. But when the pastor started to tell a story about his lawnmower or whatever, an incident <laughs> that he had, I'd always wake up just for that story. And as soon as he was done talking about the story, you know, his illustration, I would fall right back asleep. And I had realized that as a young adult also, that was like, that's really weird. Like my friends aren't necessarily like that. Like, I think I'm extreme in that way. Like I'm really fixated on stories. Anyway, so I said, hey, you know, we're at the film festival. I know what I'm gonna do. We'll just find these people with awesome testimonies and turn them into video testimonies, like five minute short films. And so that's what we were gonna do. But then, you know, as I was thinking about that, I was like, ah, you know, that's a lot of time and money. Cause I'd done film before, right? I'd done the mm -hmm. commercials and I knew it was like, yeah, that's a lot of time, that's a lot of money. And then I thought, hey, 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 this podcasting thing, it's audio only, there's no video. How hard can that be, right? It'll be so much cheaper, so much faster. It'll be so much simpler. And so uh, I had the audacity then to call up one of my friends from the festival, because now we're back at home, right? Mm. I had the audacity to call up a friend of mine. And I'm like, hey, bro, I know that you're like a full-time, you know, paid video editor, but I would like you to volunteer to edit my podcast for free. You know, it'll be good for your portfolio. And he had never done a podcast before. And he's like, well, how? what kind of time commitment is that? And I'm like, oh, I don't know, couple hours a week, something like that, because I'm just gonna roll into these interviews. I'm gonna be such a great interviewer. The story will just literally tell itself. <laughs> It'll be so easy. I'm just gonna hand you an audio file and all you gotta do is just, you know, add a little music to the beginning and the end and just roll with it. And uh, to my horror nowadays, my horror now, my friend said, sure. And so he and I both committed to each other on the phone that we would complete one full season. I see you, Tim. I see you snickering over there. Like, <laughs> I mean, can you believe like our ignorance, right? And so, of course, I show up to my very first interview. And it was a friend of mine. She's 70 years old. She's almost 80 now, actually. And she had a really cool testimony. She grew up in a really messed up household. And she should have gone to prison, basically. But mm. the Lord intervened. And she ended up now leading a ministry for women that are in prison for the last 50 years. Mm. And she ended up being the death row counselor for the first woman executed in Texas in 100 years. And just a lot of cool stories that she had to tell how she'd seen God at work in her life and in the lives of others. Well, I showed up to this interview and I had a rough idea of her testimony, but I'm just like listening and I'm just like, what, what, what? And two hours later, I walk away with all this audio footage, which is awesome stories, but me just being like, what, 
what, what, you know, and it just sounded awful and it, it, just, it didn't make sense. And I send this mm. over to my editor and he tries to edit something and he sends it back. And I'm like, that's awful. And we send it back and forth, back and forth. And then I'm like, well, no, no, we've got to introduce like, we, you know, we need context because we're slicing it down to 45 minutes, but we need context. And so I'm back in my house trying to pretend that I'm still in the interview space and I'm recording a quote unquote brand new question, but pretending I'm still there in this space. And before we knew it, at the end of the season, my editor and I compared notes, and he had been spending roughly 20 hours on each episode that were released. Oh, and yeah. I had been spending roughly 20 hours on each episode that we released. So between the two of us, we had created a full-time job creating this podcast. But at the end of that first season, we were like, wow, this, this was really worth it. And I can go into that later. That's a long story, long answer to your short question there. But that's <laughs> how Compelled first got started. Yeah, that's thanks for sharing that. So you, you had the idea. You started recording the interviews. You put out the first season. What was your goal in those early days? You know, you're going from politics to podcasting. What was your dream on that? Yeah, great question. So unlike many other ministries, my goal was very selfish. My goal was simply to find out if I could do it as a full-time job. Mm. That that was my okay. whole goal was, could we make this into a career path? And so we launched that first season and our download numbers did not show that it was going to be a full-time career. Mm. But the feedback that we received from listeners was really encouraging. And it was really the first time that I had launched a project like this where I had full creative control over what was coming out. Like there was no other client I had to answer to. I was the client. So I could decide what was going to be in the edit or not. And it was the first kind of project like that where also I was publishing consistently. And there definitely was some type of adrenaline rush I was getting from each week of launching a brand new episode and receiving feedback from listeners. I think when we finished our first season, we were doing roughly about 300 downloads a week. But according to my projections, in order to be able to do it self-sustaining full-time, we needed to be doing closer to around 20,000 downloads a week. So we were literally like 1.5% of the way there. But still, after that first season, I was pretty convinced, like, I think there's something here. There's a lot of potential. And I think with some refinement, we might be able to find a better groove. Yeah, totally. And now after like five years of podcasting, you recently crossed the 1 million download mark. So congratulations on that. You've come a long way in five years. That's a huge milestone. So let's dive into that success a little. How has podcasting helped you grow what started out as just an idea to where it is now? Yeah, yeah. So initially our goal with the podcast was that we wanted to make it into a full-time self-sustaining career path for us so that I could leave politics. And for the first probably five, well, let me think here. It, yeah, it took us about five years to reach that point. So for the first four years, what I did is I would work full-time for other clients. I was still doing political work. Mm. Eventually, I kind of shifted over into business marketing instead. So I'd work full-time for a client for about an entire year. And then I would take off about three months and just end all the client work and just take three months and focus entirely on the podcast. Okay. And we would bust out an entire season from beginning to end, editing like crazy, releasing like crazy. I mean, it was a really wacky time period. And then 
as soon as we were done with that, then I would go back to the client work, work another year, save up my money, you know, so that we could live, yeah. you know, and then just rinse and repeat. So we did that for about four years. And we started receiving donations and the show was essentially tripling in size each season that we would release. Okay. So that yeah. first season we were doing about 300 downloads a week. Second season we did about 1,000 a week. Third season we did about 3,000 a week. Fourth season we did about 8,000 a week. And so it's just kind of consistently tripling in size. But of course, we were seasonal and we'd take like a year-long break in between seasons. And so there'd be a huge drop-off and plateau sure. you know, during the break. But the plateau would still be a healthy size. But then as soon as we came back in the season, we'd ramp right back up to where we left off beforehand and we'd grow a little bit more at that point. Obviously, those numbers cannot always triple forever and ever and ever. And we've kind of hit that plateau now. Mm. We're no longer tripling in size. But we, last year... We finished the season doing about, I think it was somewhere around like 18,000 downloads a week. That's great. And so we said, hey, that is really close to that magical 20,000 download a week mark that we need to hit in order yeah. to kind of be self-sustaining through ads. And so we went ahead and pulled the trigger. And so now I've been going full-time on the podcast since July of last year. So that's uh, whatever that is, that's about 18 months now, yeah. something like that, I think. Yeah, that's cool to hear that story that, you know, it does take time to get it to the point where you can have it sustain itself and it takes a lot of work. Yeah. So thanks for sharing your, your journey with that. And I was looking uh, when I was doing research, your podcast compelled was number 69 in the religion and spirituality category, which as you probably know, and some of our listeners might know as well, a large part of that ranking on Apple podcast is velocity of subscribers. So how quickly are you adding subscribers? Right. So if you have a lot at one period of time, it's easy to jump up on the charts. But you're staying within, you know, the top 100 or so frequently. So what would you say has been your best strategy to add subscribers and grow your audience? Great question. Yeah, that's a that's a really good question, Tim. That's the first time I've ever been asked that question, actually, on a podcast <laughs> interview. Yeah, so that's actually something we've spent a lot of time trying to dial in because, you know, when we first started the show, we did a whole bunch of experimental marketing, like trying to do trades with like, you know, ministries that had a big email list or... But the number one most effective thing that we discovered for like at least growth of listeners, which also resulted in Apple chart listings, mm -hmm. but really yeah. I'm looking at downloads, that's the main metric mm -hmm. I'm looking at, was advertising or cross-promoting on other podcasts. Because what we discovered is that even though if we did an email blast, first off, you know, your email list is kind of, you're going to have like a 25% open rate. And then of those people who even open an email, only half of the American population listens to podcasts consistently. And furthermore, when someone is opening an email, even if they are a podcast listener, they are in the mode of reading an email, right. like they're in email mm -hmm. cleaning their inbox mode. They're not in podcast mode. But what we discovered is that if we run an ad on a podcast, well, the people that are hearing the podcast are by definition podcast consumers already. So you've right. already kind of gotten through half of the Americans who actually do that. And then if they are listening to a podcast right then, you know for a fact that in about 30 minutes or less, that episode they're listening to is going to end. Yeah. And depending on their listening habits, they literally may be in the mode of like, hey, I'm ready to add something else to my queue and listen to something else. So if you have a compelling pitch right then, wow, that might be interesting. <laughs> they literally might listen to you right then. Tim, I, you said you found Compelled through the Pour Over right. podcast, yeah. or was it through the newsletter? Through the recall? podcast. I mainly listen to the podcast. And so when podcasts get referenced, you know, when they pitch a different podcast, you know, there's been several 
I'm always like, oh, that's interesting. I should I should go check that out. And so here we are. Yeah. Like that's one example of yeah. how that plays out. Yeah. Going where people have an intent to listen is a huge way to grow podcasts as well as, you know, I tell clients too, another great way is to have your host go on other podcasts that are already your audience. Same kind of a thing. Yep. You're going and cross-promoting in a space that people are, your tribe's already there. They might not know about you yet, but yeah. So both of those ways, I mean, going where people have already have an intent to listen is huge. So can I give one other tip? Also? Yeah, please. So one other tip on this one also that we found a lot of success on was we started doing our season premieres with another partner's podcast. Mm. And so what happened was last year, I had some friends at American Family Radio. Okay. And they had a daily radio broadcast. Like literally every day, they're on there for an hour. They've got their own show. And so they're always looking for guests and stuff to fill in content and everything. And so I pitched them. I said, hey, what if we launch a season premiere of a compelled episode, like our season premiere, and we'll drop half of the episode because like, you know, their time block's only 45 minutes because they got to put in ad spots. And my entire episode's about, you know, 45 to 50 minutes. But they'd love to have some time to talk with me and banter and everything. So what we did is I told all of my listeners, like, hey, our first episode of the season's dropping. You've been waiting for a whole year. You can hear it a week early on this broadcast from American Family mm, Radio, yeah. live on the radio at such and such time, whatever. And so I'm driving all of my listeners towards the American Family Radio broadcast. And so that, you know, it's good for AFR because they're happy because they're getting some exposure to my audience. Right. And then I showed up, we talked for like, you know, 10 minutes about podcasting and, you know, testimonies and then played the actual compelled episode. But we only played like the first 15 minutes and we intentionally ended it on a cliffhanger. Sure, yeah. <laughs> and so we had the cliffhanger and then we said, hey, what happens next? Hey, you can find out next week when the full episode drops on the Compelled podcast. So we're driving all of the AFR audience back to Compelled. We only gave them a taste, but a really interesting taste that left them like, ooh, what's gonna happen? And so we, we saw significant growth from doing that strategy. So we did that. And so now we're doing that with our Compelled premieres and with our season finales also. So season premiere, season finale, we try to do that. So we just did something very similar to that like a couple weeks ago with uh, Ray Comfort's podcast. We did our season finale on his show. Yeah, I heard that on the podcast that you were doing that. Was that your idea to do that kind of trade or did they approach you? How did that come about? Uh, I approached both of them. Nice. Where'd you come up with the idea to do that? Because that's, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, I feel like this is a good idea, you know, for, just from my perspective, I feel like this is a good idea, but are they going to go for like, do they want that? But I worked out for you. Yeah. So how did that, how did that pitch go? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. I think I came up with the idea. I don't recall ever hearing this idea from someone else. Now I've borrowed tons of ideas from other people, but I don't recall hearing this idea from anyone else about like doing a season finale on someone else's show. Yeah. Maybe I did. Um, you know, I had to kind of explain to everybody what the idea here was like dropping. Mm -hmm. But what I knew though was the best way to pitch your show is not to pitch it in, you know, 30 seconds or beyond an interview. The number one best way to pitch your show is to literally play your actual show. Yeah. That is the best way to pitch your show. Because then that's actually showing them what it actually is for real, for real, you know? Yeah. Well, that's a great idea. I might have to do that sometime. Podcasting takes a lot of time, effort, and to be honest, a lot of Googling. What if you could ask like-minded people how to overcome the challenges you're facing starting a podcast, growing a podcast, or producing multiple podcasts? 
I think starting a community like that would be super valuable, but I want to know what you think. Would you be interested in being part of a community of ministry leaders using podcasts to amplify their mission and grow their ministry? If so, let me know by filling out the interest form using the link in the show notes. You release seasons of your podcast, and frequently with several months, and you've mentioned even as much up to a year in between seasons. So first question with that is, what brought you to decide to do seasons? It sounds like a little bit was just based off of your work schedule, but why did you land on that as the way to go? And then I have another question after that, dive into that a little deeper. But Yeah, so when we first started, the seasonal approach was we knew that from season one, we just wanted to say, hey, we're just doing a season. That way we could just kind of, we, we didn't know was this going to be sustainable or not, right? Sure. I had told my friend like, hey, two hours a week, but I, I didn't know for <laughs> sure, right? And like yeah. in the back of your mind, you're always like, well, I, you know, and of course I horribly, horribly underestimated by like 200%, 2000%, whatever it is, horribly <laughs> underestimated. And so that's why we'd said, hey, just a season at a time. And we had no idea if there'd be another season or not. But that way, when you say there's a season, you're kind of giving yourself the space and saving face. So that way you can always be like, hey, if it's turning out great and you realize like, oh, I can keep up a regular cadence, then you can always say, hey, this season is done. And now we're launching season two next week, right? And right, it's just a yeah. new theme. I've seen other shows that do that. Like they will literally, there's no break in the episodes, but they just call it season one, yeah. season two, season three, right? And it can be based on the years. So that's one reason we did that. The other reason, of course, is once we realized like how time consuming it was for this future seasons, I began fundraising and all that we would pay my editor. So he no longer volunteered. Like I, I want to make it clear <laughs> about that. He, he volunteered so faithfully that very first year. But the second year I was like, I can't do this too again, man. So we do pay him now. Everyone on the team is paid now. And so, but I had to make money to feed my own family. So that's mm -hmm. another reason why we had to take those long seasonal breaks just so I could, you know, earn money to feed the family. But now, now that we've kind of, we're doing this full time now, we've changed our cadence. So instead of releasing an episode every week and doing a season at a time and taking a huge long gap, what we're now doing is we're releasing an episode every other week. We still have two seasons a year. We have like a fall season and a spring season. And we try to roughly take maybe a two-month break in between those two seasons, just so that way I can get a break for, you know, sanity's sake during Thanksgiving and Christmas sure. and then maybe yeah. during the summer or something like that, just to kind of give myself a little space. But so we're trying to release about 20 episodes a year once every other week with those breaks in between. Yeah. So along with that, are you working in between seasons or are you specifically like this is the block of time that I'm going to dedicate to this season and then we're actually going to have a break and then we'll come back to it? Or do you find yourself like, okay, well, this season has done publishing, but now I'm working on the next one and that time in between kind of has become just preparing for the next one? Or have you found yourself being able to give yourself a break? It sounds like it's kind of a new, newer thing that you're doing. So I would love to hear. Yeah, it's a newer thing. So I don't have a good answer about what's, what, what I'm hoping to do though, yeah. is we are hoping to do the latter, what you described. We're hoping to work ahead of schedule. But also now that I've got a little flex, so like right now, like we just finished our season finale. So now I've got a basically about two month break here, two and a half months. And so I am hoping to work with my editors and get several episodes ahead of schedule. But then I, there's a few other projects in the works like, oh yeah, this has been delayed, that's been delayed. And I was just waiting to get to the end of the season so I can have a breather to kind of focus my brain on like, here's a new marketing strategy or a new idea that we're going to launch in the ministry. 
So it's probably a mixture of both. Maybe you should yeah. ask me how it went two months <laughs> from now, and I'll tell you. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, at the beginning of the year, after we get through the holidays, how how did it actually end up playing out? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So you were mentioning that you raised money to pay the editor, and now you have sponsors and you have donation model as well. What has it taken to get to that point, and then how has it been able to now support your team? Yeah, yeah. So I'll be very candid about the money here. So we have three income streams, basically. And first off, let me just clarify, God is the one who provides the money, right? Like that became very obvious to us when we first launched the show. You know, that very first season, right? We did it for free, everyone volunteered. But the second season was like, oh, I've got to fundraise money so we can. And so I thought in my ignorance, again, I thought, oh, okay, I'm just going to raise 60 grand. That'll pay for the editor. That'll pay for me. I'll work on this full time. And we'll just ramp up and go full time. Like, you know, in one year, we'll, we'll get it. Well, no, I didn't raise 60 grand, right? Like that didn't happen. Instead, we got, you know, like, uh, you know, 100 bucks here, 100 bucks there. And, and I was like, okay, we're raising some money. And we raised just enough to do that second season. I talked to some donors and so I think we raised like 8,000 bucks. That's all we raised, right? And so I realized, okay, this is just enough to pay the editor, cover some expenses, but it's not going to pay me. Mm -hmm. So I've got to work full time doing other stuff. But when we finished that second season, we were like, okay, well, we we want to do season three, but oh man, it was like pulling teeth, trying to raise money from friends and stuff like that. And oh, am I going to do this again or not? And I kid you not, my wife and I are having this conversation and suddenly I get a call from someone who had said like, hey, I talked to them the previous year, the previous year. And they said, hey, I'm so sorry. I meant to get back with you and we never did. We were so busy, but hey, we're mailing you a check for $5,000. And I was like, what? And so we took that as a sign from the Lord. Like, well, we were trying to make a decision. Are we going to make season three or not? The fundraising and suddenly 5,000 bucks just showed up and I was just stunned. And then I got on the phone and I called another person and they also committed another $5,000. And so in the course of 24 hours, we'd raise 10,000 bucks, which at least for us, our small ministry, that that was huge. That was huge, right? Yeah. And so like, it's just been confirmation from us. There's been other moments that have happened where money has just shown up just completely out of the blue, random checks in the mail. And so when I talk about the money here, I want to clarify like, it is all God's money in the first yeah. place yeah. and he can provide however he wants to. So what I'm going to share with you, maybe this is helpful to other ministries. Today, we have three income streams. One is we sell sponsorships. Sponsorships probably account for maybe 40% of our income. And so those are just dynamic insertion-based. And then we also receive large donations towards the maybe around the end of the year, kind of end of year fundraising type stuff. And then we also, our third income stream is we have small recurring donations that come in through Patreon or through just like recurring card things. And that's anywhere between $3 to $20 several donors like that. And so those are kind of our nice. three income streams. Yeah, that's Does that answer hear. your question? Yeah, it does. Because, you know, I've been, as I've been interviewing several different folks, you know, some have been, like when I talked to the Bible Project, they're completely crowdfunded. Yeah. And then uh, when I was talking to Jason at the Pour Over, 99% of their revenue is from sponsors. Yep. And so it's interesting to hear how different ministries, how the different revenue streams come in and how that's working for you individually. So that's that's cool to hear. So we were talking about, you know, as part of that, you're doing dynamic ad insertion. And I saw on, on your website and you'd mentioned on the podcast too, you're also part of a podcast network called Edify. How did that yeah. partnership start and what's been the value of that for you? Yeah, so podcast networks, they can be super helpful. And we have belonged to two podcast networks. The first network that we were part of was the Edify Network. We're still part of them. They are an offshoot of the Christian Post, actually. Okay. And so the main benefit for us was that we would, because they're part of the Christian Post, 
Occasionally, there will be open advertising inventory on the Christian Post website or on their email list. And if there's open inventory that was not going to be filled anyways, sometimes they will throw a free ad in there from one of their 100 other members of their podcast network. Yeah. But there's like 100 members, right? So like you don't know. It's kind of ad hoc. So you don't know if you're going to get chosen or not. But it's happened for us a few times. We've been blessed that way. And then in return, at the beginning of all of our episodes, we always say, hey, we're part of the Edify podcast network. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's basically like a 10-second ad driving people back to the Edify app. So that was one benefit there. We belong to another podcast network, which was a white label network. So that means we never said it publicly. Oh, it's, it's fine for me to say this, but we never said it publicly on our show. There was no requirement to do that. And that was part of the Christianity Today white label network. There's about okay. maybe 10 or 15 shows that were part of that network. And the way they did that is at the end of every episode, you were simply cross-promoted another show that was part of the network. Sure. And then occasionally Christianity Today would also, they would have received an advertising order from a large company or whatever. They couldn't fulfill all the ads on their own shows. And so they would then deliver the ads through our shows as well. And then we'd do a percentage split of the revenue. Gotcha. But the benefit for me was like, you know, if their huge episode from Christianity Today goes viral, like, you know, the rise and fall of Mars Hill or something like that goes viral, and suddenly they're getting millions and millions and millions of downloads. Well, at the end of all of the Christianity Today episodes, including Mars Hill, they're just advertising people part of their network, and suddenly I get a lot of free exposure that way. So it was beneficial for us at that point. We eventually left them, though, earlier this summer as we started selling and fulfilling all of our own ad inventory. Gotcha. But we've great friends over there, still in great terms with those guys. And then the third thing is I'm actually in the process of launching my own podcast network. Nice. Which will launch probably maybe in the next couple months here, and that'll be focused on Christian podcasts that use immersive storytelling, similar to Compelled. Yeah. So about five okay. shows in that network there. Nice. There you go. That's You're the first person I said that publicly to, so congratulations or something. Yeah, thanks for sharing, Paul. So as we uh, come up to the High Pass segment here in a second, I would love to hear, we're talking about the future of the show, what's coming up. What's your current goals for Compelled, and what are you excited about for the future? Yeah, yeah. So a couple things. So current goals... We're really excited that, hey, we've kind of landed in this space where we feel as though God is allowing us to do this full time. We've kind of hit that magical 20,000 downloads a week mark. We're still trying to grow those numbers, though, also to you know to always have healthy to have healthy margins, right? Especially when you're, a lot of your mm-hmm. incomes derived from uh, advertising. So that's one thing there. But two other things that we're considering. One is this podcast network that we're hoping to launch. Yeah. It'll be called Proclaim. So proclaimpodcastnetwork.com or proclaim.fm. I think I bought both of those domains. There's no website there yet, but there soon will be. And so that's one thing that we're really excited about just as a way to like help expose Christians to other high quality produced mm-hmm. storytelling podcasts similar to Compelled. So we're excited about that. So that's one initiative we're looking at. Second initiative that we're thinking about is a newsletter. Mm. So not a newsletter about Compelled, but actually an actual newsletter of like beneficial information of some, you know, information of things that we have found throughout the week that would be beneficial to other Christians. So just, again, another outlet or avenue for us to help provide helpful resources to Christians. And then the third thing that we've been pondering is launching a kids podcast similar to Compelled, but oriented towards a younger audience. So maybe not the same intensity of the shows, 
Also, these stories would probably be told by a narrator. That way we could also tell stories that were, you know, going back and through history with martyrs and people who are now dead mm, and the disciples okay. and the apostles, things like that. So anyway, that those are all things that we're pondering or thinking through. The network is the most likely to happen in the near future. Maybe the newsletter after that, and then maybe the kids' podcast after that. So those are all things that we're yeah, thinking about cool. still. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing. It's it's fun to hear what what people are up to. So thanks for giving us some insight and in what's going on. Sure. So now that brings us to our high pass segment where, a little audio pun here, where we ignore the lows and talk about some of your favorite things. So a little rapid fire here. What is your favorite part of the production process? Probably the marketing launch, releasing each episode. Yeah. What is one of your favorite stories from a listener about how the Compelled Podcast has impacted their life? Oh, wow. Okay, we've gotten several really cool stories. One that came in recently, a mom reached out to us and basically shared that she had, had been struggling with suicide for the mm. last several years. And her pastor's wife shared Compelled with her, as well as counseling. She was going through counseling, and Compelled was one of the tools that she had with her to just kind of listen to other people going through really tough times and how the Lord delivered mm. them from those seasons of grief and anxiety. And she found a lot of peace through that. So that was really cool. Yeah. And then last one, what's one of your favorite ministry podcasts that you listen to, or what's one of your favorite ministries that you wish had a podcast? Either way there. Oh, good one. Okay. A ministry that I think would be really well-equipped to launch a podcasting would be MetaShare, actually. Okay. They're one of our sponsors. And I've never told them this, but I should probably tell them this. But so MetaShare, they're like a Christian healthcare sharing ministry. yeah. yeah. Man, they could definitely have a podcast. Like there's so much they could dig into either member stories or it could be a variety show with member stories and then like going behind the scenes with like different people who work at MetaShare and learning their stories of how they came to work there. And I think there's just a lot of potential there. Another ministry that could have a great podcast is the Texas Homeschool Coalition. And I'm actually about to share that idea with them. So they're like nice. the largest state homeschool organization okay. in America. And I think they could have a great variety show. And then the last one would maybe be the Bible Museum okay. up in Washington, D.C. They've got a huge budget already. And they've got this massive facility. I've never been to the museum, but I've seen it. It looks beautiful and amazing. Yeah. And I think it'd be really cool if they had a podcast like talking about the different exhibits that they have mm. and talking about the history of the Bible, maybe an immersive show digging into different translations of the Bible or how it's been like delivered yeah. through the ages. I think that could be really cool. Yeah. Those are some cool so, ideas. If you launch that show, Tim, <laughs> le please let me know. I'd love to follow along with that. Yeah, that's a cool idea. Because, you know, you always go to museums like that. And it's like, there's so much you could spend your time reading or looking at. But you never have that much time to like just, I mean, that's going to take all day. And you might not even still get through the whole thing. Exactly. So that'd be that's a cool idea. I like that. I like that. All right. Well, to close, Paul, one last question. Now that you're 70 plus episodes in, several seasons, you're coming up on publishing season seven in February. What's some of your best advice for ministry leaders who are wanting to grow their podcast? If they already have one that are wanting to grow their podcast. We talked a little bit about this earlier, but I'd love to hear your best advice. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I have to think about that for a second. Off the top of my head, one, what I already mentioned, cross promotions with other ministries that are similar that already have established podcast audiences. One thing that we just did recently was it was Pioneers, Pioneers Missions okay. Agency. They are currently running an ad with us right now for their podcast. 
And so, hey, if someone wants to run a podcast ad on my show, let me know. Maybe maybe a good fit. Maybe it's not. But so that's probably one great way is like look for other similar podcasts or podcasts that are serving a similar audience and try to run ads there. Or if they won't take ads, like paid mm-hmm. ads, maybe you can do a cross-promotional swap instead. So I'd encourage that. That's probably really my my number one tip for success. Yeah. The other one also is, and you've talked about this in other episodes, Tim, about consistency. Yeah. Like once you start publishing, you need to keep the consistency. Or if you're going to be seasonal, be upfront right at the very beginning. Like, hey, we are a seasonal show. That way the audience doesn't think like, oh, they're flakes because they publish some episodes and then they just dropped off the board. What's <laughs> up? You know, they're not serious about it, right? But as long as you're upfront at the very beginning, like, hey, we're seasonal and we'll be back with very soon with our next season. It, it just changes the optics of it. Yeah. It really adjusts the audience's expectations and can have some benefit there. Yeah. Well, great advice, Paul. Thanks so much for taking the time today to chat with me and share your journey with Compelled and some of your wisdom around podcasting as well. It's been a lot of fun. Awesome. Glad to be here, man. I really enjoyed my conversation with Paul and getting to hear how he's been able to grow Compelled over the past five years to the point of it actually being self-sustaining financially. That's a huge milestone. Way to go, Paul. Keep up the great work, man. I also loved hearing his strategy for adding subscribers and growing his audience through advertising and cross-promoting on other podcasts. I mean, going where people already have an intent to listen to a podcast, I mean, that's been one of the best ways that he's grown his audience, and that's the advice that I give my clients as well. So it's really cool to hear a success story of how that's played out for Paul and Compelled. You can listen to Compelled Christian Stories and Testimonies with the link in the show notes. Go check it out. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Ministries That Podcast, produced by Sonomorphic. If you enjoyed today's episode, text it to a friend or share it on social media. Together, we can help more ministries grow and thrive through podcasting. And if you haven't already, follow or subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on the next episode and leave a five-star review while you're there. Now, come back in two weeks to hear from Elizabeth Woodson, founder of the Woodson Institute and the host of Starting Place with Elizabeth Woodson. We're going to talk about what led her to start her own podcast in addition to another podcast that she gets the opportunity to co-host, why she chose to break her podcast up into seasons, and how the podcast plays into her greater strategy for the Woodson Institute. Well, until next time, keep encouraging your audience as they follow Jesus. Jesus.